0: Merry Christmas. Good morning. How's everybody? Let's stand up and pray. And then uh, we're going to look at uh, obviously the Christmas story, but we're going to look at it maybe like you've never heard it before. So <laughs> yeah, so at least it'll be interesting, right? I hope If not beneficial. So let's pray. Father, we open our hearts and our minds to you. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. We thank you for uh, healing us and anointing us, impacting us, ministering to us. Pray, Father, a special blessing on everyone this Christmas time, Lord, those that are rejoicing and those that are struggling and the rest of us that are probably somewhere in between those two extremes. Just let there be grace and peace and ease multiplied to us during this season, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You be seated. So I'm going to start in, I'm going to start actually in 1 Corinthians, look at a few scriptures, and I'm not going to keep you real long, of course. I could blame it on God and say, if I'm following the Holy Spirit, he wants to keep you along. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about today, this, I just, you know, coming a- away from or out of, in some respects, the whole uh, kind of mainstream, charismatic, prophetic movement. Uh, and usually, you know, always before, this is the end of one season or year and the beginning of a new year. So you're trying to hear God and, you know, all that stuff. And I realized it's been about a decade Almost since I've been a part of all that, and I started back in the, the early 90s, so some of you know what I mean. But I was just thinking, what are the these you know prophets gonna do? What have they done for the last eight years? This has nothing to do with Christmas or my message. <laughs> <clears throat> but I was just thinking this this morning, what did they do? Because some of you know what I'm talking about. Like in the 90s, it was getting free in '93, um, more in '94, right? Anybody remember that? So you know, church alive in '95. And then they just recycle it, like every 10 years. So then it's getting free in 03, more in 04, coming alive in 05. And I thought, crap, all of these are teens, like, like it's the teen. And I'm like, so how did God get his message across without rhyming with the year? I thought, what have they been doing for eight years? Like, I don't know. The God who can be seen in 13? Don't be mean. in fourteen, <laughs> getting lean. And fifteen. Anyway, I thought, how does God communicate when you're in the teens? But ne- never fear, we're almost to nineteen, so they just got one more year to get through. All right, sorry. Let's come First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse twenty. Some of you appreciated that. Some of you, some of you, like what the heck are you talking about? 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of all those who sleep. For since by man death came, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And then we'll look at Genesis, just a couple of verses back in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. Verse uh, 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, etc., etc. Then Genesis 3:15. Okay, Okay, eh, let me stop, slow down a little bit. So the, the interesting thing about Adam, Adam becomes a main, kind of a main figure in the writings of the Apostle Paul and in the writings of the early church, trying to understand why did God come in the flesh? Why was Jesus, uh, why Christmas basically we could say? Why did the divine become human and how does salvation and all that stuff work? Now, in the Old Testament, Adam's mentioned in the beginning, the story of Adam and Eve is mentioned in the beginning, and then not really talked about ever throughout the rest of the Old Testament. My point is, he's no more prominent a figure than anyone else, uh, than, say, Noah or uh, Abel or Enoch. You see what I'm saying? The prominent figures in Judaism become Abraham, because they trace their lineage back to Abraham and then Moses, because Moses made the national covenant and gave them the Torah and whatever. So when Jesus dies and is raised from the dead, what the apostle Paul and many of the early Christians did was they had to interpret then the story of Israel based on the resurrection of Christ. So for a lot of us, Maybe we've drawn our conclusions about who Jesus is or who God is by looking at the scriptures or hearing messages like this and drawing a conclusion based on that. So in other words, we believe Jesus raised from the dead because we trust the Gospels that they're a trustworthy eyewitness account of what actually occurred. Right. But for the early Christians, it wasn't like that. For the early Christians, they experienced the event and then tried to go back to the scriptures and make sense of the event. You see what I'm saying? So in one sense, we start from the scriptures and we arrive at the event as a conclusion. They didn't do that. They started from the event and went back and looked at the scriptures and said, okay, now because this happened, what do the scriptures mean? And so what Paul did was he went back before Abraham and back before Moses, and he, he picks up on Adam. And he looks at the resurrection as the abolishing, obviously, the abolishing of death, right? So since death came by the man, resurrection came by the man. So in a very real sense, the answer to the question, both from the New Testament, from the writings of the early church fathers, uh, the answer to the question, why Jesus? Why Christmas? Why did uh, the word become flesh or God become flesh? The answer is simply, it was the undoing of adam it was the reversal of what happened in the garden with adam and eve right so god creates man in his image and likeness and he gives him a mandate he says be fruitful multiply but the first thing he says is be fruitful and then he tells them to rule got it then you know the story right so so here's the thing with uh, okay let's let's just do the story so all right, so you have these, this naked couple in a garden eating fruit, trees, and naming animals. And then a talking snake, right, talks the woman into eating an apple. I don't know, some kind of fruit. We typically think of it as an apple, right? Uh, but talks the woman into eating Eve, into eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and she eats the fruit and for some reason that seems to make God mad right? so so what does God do? God kicks him out of the garden and puts curses on him he curses the serpent he curses the woman he curses the man and they go outside the garden and basically life has been a beach ever since sorry I couldn't think of how to say it Um, sorry, mom. And, uh, and Jimmy Buffett has it right, right? Somewhere, some people saying there's a woman to blame for all this mess. (laughs) Right? So that's the story on that level. So picking that up, God is speaking to the serpent in Genesis 315. God is speaking to the serpent and he says, uh, I will put enmity between you and the woman And between your seed and her seed, he or her seed is the he. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the first proclamation, this is what theologians call the proto evangelion. The word evangelion is the Greek word for good news. And the word proto is like prototype. It's the first, right? So this is the first evangelion. This is the first time the gospel is declared. So it's interesting to me that in the scriptures, at least, the first time the gospel is declared, it's declared to the serpent who is seen as the root cause of the fall. So you see right there that the coming of this seed is going to be the undoing of what happened back there, right? And he says specifically the seed of the woman. But it's the, it's the man, particularly in ancient uh, ideas, It's the man who carries the seed. It's the woman who that it's planted in and whatever. So this whole idea of the seed of woman lends itself to the idea of a virgin birth. Everybody tracking with me? All right. So with all that in mind, let's come to our Christmas story from Matthew's account. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows: After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, it's important to recognize that before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Spirit, with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and listen to this part, not wanting to make her a public example. Everybody say public example. Public. All this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being translated is God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And we'll stop there. Now I'm taking for granted that you know Luke's account of the story as well, that when Jesus was born, they had to go to Bethlehem, meaning they had to leave where they were from. They had to leave their home and go to Bethlehem in order to register for a census in order to be taxed. And, of course, you know the story. Jesus is born. There's no room for them in the end. So she wraps the child and lays him in a manger. manger. All right. So let's unpack all of this. First of all, there are two aspects to the story of the fall. Let's start there. There's two aspects to it. There is the story being told in what you might call the external aspect or the outer aspect, or you might also look at it as the literal aspect. Now, I'm not really interested in arguing issues of origins, uh, like how we got here and did god make the earth in 7 24 hour days or i just it's just not my thing right but for a lot of people they believe uh that the story of adam and eve is a literal story it didn't happen exactly the way that it's portrayed in the book of genesis and i have no problem with that and there certainly is that outer aspect that that we have to deal with that's something so so here's the point we got here <laughs> We know that we are more than animals. There's, I mean, if you don't know intuitively that you've been made in the image of God, I, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh, everything in the human spirit cries out to transcend this natural sort of animalistic life, if we're honest. And most of our pain and struggle comes from the fact that we can't or we haven't. Okay, for most of us. <laughs> so those things to me are Self-evident and we also know that something went incredibly wrong because there is pain and suffering and death and loss in our world In fact everything ultimately has an expiration date Everything you have everything you're going to enjoy today and celebrate I didn't you know I didn't come here to bum you out But the point is it's all going to end And so we have this struggle So this is sort of the outer aspect so the story of Adam and Eve is a way of explaining our circumstances why is life hard so why do women give birth you know have pain in childbirth and so there's some explanation to that because of the fall the woman is cursed and in sorrow god told the woman this is important later in sorrow you'll bring forth a child god told adam you know you're gonna through the sweat of your brow here's what god told him this is also important to the story through the sweat of your brow you will eat bread you will work the ground to force it to produce bread for you. Everybody say bread. bread. Got it? So uh, basically it's explaining that whole concept of... And and, and we kind of live with this whole... We recognize there's disharmony, there's um, there's disconnection, all this stuff. So that's sort of the outer literal interpretation of it. And if you want to literally believe that the naked couple was talking to a snake and... Ate an apple and got kicked out. I'm not going to argue with you because I wasn't there. And I don't know. You very well could be right. What's important, I think, that often gets missed is the inner reality, the reality of our hearts that the scripture is speaking to. So the interior reality oftentimes comes to us symbolically, just like our dreams come to us in symbols it comes to us as metaphor it comes to us in all kinds of different ways and the reality is the more symbolic and the more metaphorical the deeper the spiritual meaning and oftentimes the greater impact it has on our hearts and not just our intellect anybody with an intellect can understand the letter of the book And get the literal interpretation. Even my children understand the literal interpretations of the stories. And their brains aren't even fully developed, right? So that does not take a lot. And my experience has been that oftentimes is not enough to change us and transform us. And I don't know about you, but I I signed up for this because I wanted transformation in my life. And that transformation has to come from the inside out. Jesus even said this in Matthew 23. He says, when he's, when he's ridiculing the religious system of the day, he says, you, you look good on the outside. You're uh, whitewashed tombs but inwardly you're full of dead man's bones he says you clean the outside of the dish but you leave the inside of the dish dirty then he says this he says if you clean the inside of the dish then the outside of the dish will be clean also in other words what jesus is saying is there is a way for your inner life to match your outer life but your outer life will never match your inner life unless you bring the two uh, unless you clean the inside first so while you're looking at the story of the fall, there's something that happens externally, there's something that happens literally in the story, but there's also a dynamic or an element of this where something happens internally. Here's Adam and Eve living in this place of innocence, and the scripture makes the point of saying that they were both naked and felt no shame. Now, what the, the, the Hebrew word there for naked just means that there was a complete openness and flow and exchange that was taking place and there was no shame in what was being expressed. The key issue here is there was no shame. Then as soon as they, now, now here's this tree that, that is, that is this external reality. You can see it as, a, as an apple tree if you want to, but it's the inner part of it that's important because it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So when we start talking about the knowledge of good and evil, we start talking about something that's affecting the internal world and the internal realm, right? Now, what's so so he says when you eat at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat there lest you die. Right? So they eat at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and it says they 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 knew immediately they knew. Now we're dealing with an internal reality. We're dealing with the interior knowledge. They knew that they were naked, and they covered themselves. Then they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves. They were afraid, and they hid themselves in the trees of the garden because they were naked. So, the reality of the fall is that it created an outer mess, but it also created a... Inner mess. You see it? And this inner mess is based on shame and judgment and failure. And unfulfilled desires. When she saw that the tree was good for food and desirable, see the inner reality. She desires something, but then doesn't get what she desired. And so now there's shame, there's finger pointing, Adam, did you eat at the tree that I told you not to? No, is the woman you gave to be with me? Uh, did you eat at the tree? No, is the serpent that lied to me? Right. Serpent probably said it was the devil that possessed me, and on down the line. Right. So here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is, is that, is that. When we begin to internalize our own sense of right and wrong, and it become, or, or, or good and evil, and good and evil becomes the lens through which we choose to see and experience life, to see and experience ourselves, and ultimately to see and experience God, then an internal judge is set up in the psyche that then begins to compare parts of ourselves to the standards to which we hold ourselves but are not able to live up to. Do I need to say that again? Yes. When we internalize a standard for ourselves that comes outside of us, That tells us this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is evil. Then we create in our minds concepts that say for me to be a good person, I have to live up to these standards. And if I fail to live up to these standards, I'm no longer a good person. And the problem is, we don't live up to the standards. That creates internal conflict, that creates shame, that creates withdrawal, that creates fear of God, that creates now division and warfare because other people aren't doing like they're supposed to either. So everything becomes divided. We become divided from God. We become divided internally against ourselves. Okay, let's make it real simple. How many of you have an inner critic that tells you how you should, ought, must, need to be living and doing and beat you up when you don't? Let me see your hands. <laughs> Internal critic. <clears throat> right? That is the fruit of the fall. That is death experienced internally. Right? Right? But let's come back to the external, literal, outer part of the story, and we'll revisit that in a moment. Got it? When you get to the birth of Christ, here's what's interesting about how it plays out. Keep in mind the fall. Let me just revisit it for a second. The woman eats at the tree, right? And they have to leave their home and go into exile. God told them be fruitful. And multiply. Now the first couple is in exile away from their home. Having to give birth through pain and suffering. And having to work by the sweat of your brow to have bread. With the promise of a redeemer. Got it? Now when you get to the birth of Jesus, you have another couple. Now Joseph's name. Joseph's name if you translate it from the original language, means to be fruitful. So in the beginning you have the first man, and God says, be fruitful and multiply. But they didn't have children until after the fall. So that was never fulfilled. Then you have... So you have the man whose name is Fruitful taking his wife Mary who clearly repre- who is going to carry the seed of the woman so clearly she represents for us eve and god told eve she'd give birth through sorrow and the word mary if you translate it means bitterness and rebellion and suffering so here you have a couple <laughs> who is forced to leave their home in order to go register to be taxed fruitful and Eve in exile from where they live to be taxed by a government that wants to take something from them. Are you breathing? (laughs) And they go to a place called Bethlehem. And the word Bethlehem means Beth is house and lahem is of bread. So you have a first couple exiled from their home who weren't able to be fruitful with a woman who in sorrow is going to bring forth but has a promise of a redeemer who have to leave their house and by the sweat of their brow eat bread. Now you have another couple whose name is fruitful who takes his wife bitterness and sorrow with him in exile away from his home in the house of bread to give birth to the seed of the woman. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Pretty interesting the way they tell the story, the way God laid all this out. So clearly from the beginning, the whole picture of Christ being born was a picture of the undoing of Adam and the undoing of the... And so Paul is able to tell us, so externally the story happens this way. Since death came by one man, so resurrection from the dead comes by another. <laughs> Just as in Adam all die, so in Christ all be made alive. So there's the resolution of the external story, the outer story, the literal interpretation. And we can save that for Easter. But what about the internal part of the story? Because here's, here's what's so interesting to me. From a mystical perspective, many of the early, early church fathers who were mystics, many of the Jewish mystics, were not as hung up on taking the story of Adam and Eve literally. They were more interested in interpreting it Mystically, And here's what I mean by that. One of the early church fathers said that Eden represents that place in our heart where we're living in harmony and we meet with the voice of God. It's the temple or the garden that's inside of you. And Adam, notice it says, male and female made he them. So the reality is, is that it took both for you to show up and even in your physical body you have characteristics of your mom and characteristics of your dad so even in your physical body though you predominantly manifest the gender that you are however you still have those feminine chromosomes if you're a man or those masculine chromosomes if you're a woman to manifest so you have the male and the female inside of you you also have that in you psychically in the psyche i'm using a term i'm not using a witchcraft new age term i'm being me and thinking about every word you say and not wanting to trigger somebody. Got it? So what they would say is that Adam represents the conscious mind and the will. Willpower. The ability to choose. That's why Adam wasn't deceived. Because if Adam had been deceived, he would no longer represent choice. Got it? Eve, now the word Mary can also mean it's uh, an, an ocean or a sea. It's where we get the word marine, maritime. Are you tracking with me? And the oceans represented internally the depths of the unconscious. So the way you could look at the story is that in the beginning, the way it was supposed to be, a human being was able to dwell inside themselves and commune with God, who was the deepest principle of the life essence within them. And, their con- and there was no split between their conscious mind and their unconscious mind, or between their will and the power to carry out what they desired, because both the conscious and the unconscious were open and unashamed. And the moment... There's an internalization of, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there is a fracture or a split between choice and the ability to carry it out. Between choice that is in harmony with your best and highest good because it's walking in the presence of God and independent choice and desire that may lead to your own destruction. Are you breathing? So they become fractured and divided and separated. So that the good that I will to do, I cannot, like Paul said in Romans 7, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the evil thing I hate, that I keep doing. Who will rescue me, he goes on to say in Romans 7, from this body of death? So now you get to the place where Joseph, who represents fruitfulness, has Mary, who represents the parts of the unconscious mind. And he's ashamed of Mary because she's been found with child and it's not his. So look what the scripture says. He does not want to make a public example of her. So all of us have things in our lives that we don't want to bring forward to be the the public example of who we are. We'd rather keep our public face on, I'm sorry, our fruitful face and project it to the public. But we have all these aspects that come from bitterness, that come from sorrow, that come from unfulfilled desires, that come from disappointments that we're ashamed of and we want to put it away secretly. And religion that feeds you at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which almost all of evangelical Christianity does today. Totally focused on morality, totally focused on behavior modification. Totally thinking that God is obsessed with what you're doing and how you're thinking and what you're feeling and all of that. And and he's just this giant Santa Claus in the sky that's that's marking who's naughty and who's nice and and and, 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 and who knows, maybe you'll get Call on Judgment Day and maybe you'll get what you asked for. All these internal projections that come from eating at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And people all over the world, in evangelical Christianity specifically, Protestant Christianity, uh, Pentecostal Christianity, are content to go and eat at the tree of death every Sunday and then wonder why they're not fulfilled and living an abundant life and can't hear from God and don't know God and can't get healed and can't work miracles and can't do any of that stuff because you're eating at the wrong tree. And all it does is continue to magnify your shame and magnify your shortcomings. And interestingly enough, God did not tell Eve, we translate it in English, in the day you eat of it, you will die. No, 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 no. He told her, in dying, you will die until you're dead. And so we just go, keep feeding at the same tree, dying daily, until finally we give up and who knows who God is and who knows what God's like and who knows what He's going to do and all we do is spend time judging ourselves judging other people judging other religions judging people that are different than us judging people whose sexuality is different judging people with gender issues judging people who don't make choices that we don't agree because we are God's ordained authority and God's ordained voice because we know and it's all the tree of death and the serpent is running the whole blasted thing it's just the truth And so what happens is, is that we all go through life. Can I tell you what I think the fires of hell are? Why am I doing this? Why do I want to invite such controversy into a Sunday morning? Can't possibly be a literal flame. Because, hello? What's it going to burn? How are you going to suffer if it's a literal flame and your body's dead? I'm just saying. Fire in the ancient cultures, one of the things fire represented was desire. But it also could represent anger and anguish. And And so all these inflamed desires that we have that we try to suppress or that we become angry because we didn't get them or we become jealous of somebody else because they got something that we don't want and we and we cultivate all those fires inside of us. So the only hell anybody goes to when they die is the hell they created while they were alive. Yeah. All right. I went over about like I thought. So Mary represents what Carl Jung called the shadow. The shadow self. The part of us that we have deemed unacceptable, unredeemable, part of ourselves that we hate, that we don't want to make a public example of, and so we deny it. And so here's the thing. Watch, you've got the man fruitful and the woman who's bitter, you've got the conscious and the unconscious And they're espoused, but they've not yet come together. Joseph still wants to deny his problems. Like Adam, he doesn't want to take ownership. Yes, Lord, I ate at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you told me not to. Instead, he projects his guilt onto God. It's your fault that you gave me the woman. He doesn't blame the woman. He blames God. See? It? So the only way that this all can come together, but here's the thing. Here's the thing that we don't get. See, when you're eating at the tree of the knowledge, going back to what I was saying about churches, what it does is, what it does is, is lead you to believe that it's the seed of man that brings freedom. It leads you to believe that if you identify with the fruitful side of you, the side of you that can be good, the side of you that can do everything that's expected of you, the Joseph side of you, the willpower side of you, you can find salvation. That's why most counseling from most pastors is admit it and quit it. Repent. Just stop. Knock it off. Quit being naughty. If y'all quit being naughty, God will bless you. See it? But the truth is, God chose the rebellious parts, the broken part, the disowned part, the sorrowful part, the bitter part, and the part separate from the will to place the seed of salvation. Cause sure we needed Jesus to come and save us externally. But the reality is, is that the gospel is all about Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is the seed of the woman planted internally in the midst of all your mess. See, it's, 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 it's Joseph could not find Jesus whose name means salvation unless he first took Mary. Oh, and don't forget, Jesus is born in a manger in the house of bread. Because it's there that you can stop working through the sweat of your brow. See, if if Adam represents the will, then religion tells you, keep working, keep working, keep working, keep working, keep working, and you'll find the bread of life. And if you just sweat hard enough, and you white knuckle it hard enough, and you do it right, and you mark all your I's and cross all your T's and check off the whole checklist and somehow you're going to find sustenance and the gospel is the exact opposite it says all that stuff all that stuff that's going on God sends an angel Gabriel to and says blessed art thou you are highly favored you have found favor with God see that's what we don't hear it's like you got to realize, that mess that you want to disown, that mess that you don't want to make a public example of, that's where your favor is. That's where your blessing is. That's where your salvation is. That's where Christ is, because God put the seed of Christ deep inside your unconscious. And it's only in that place that you can be saved from your sins. And to finish it off, and I'm done. I told you I wouldn't keep you long, and I already kept you longer than I wanted to. The expression of disharmony, if you go back to Genesis, the expression of internal disharmony and disharmony between God and self, and self and self, the expression of that then is played out in the story of Cain and Abel. Cain was a tiller of the ground and Abel did what? He was a shepherd. The tiller of the ground did what? Grew bread. Abel is a shepherd. He's the prototypical shepherd, if you will, right? See it? So when the angels show up and they say, Peace on earth and goodwill, who do they declare it to? All the Abel's. And he redeems Cain by being placed in a manger and being born in the house of bread. And he brings the shepherds to reunite Cain and Abel inside of you. Merry Christmas. Let's stand up. I've been through a real transition in the last few years. I remember several years ago, much of what was happening in our church was external manifestations. There, there, There were services, those of you that are relatively new, there were services, we had incredible signs and wonders. There was months that we went through that we had miracles every time we got together. I remember praying for a young man in our church in seventh grade who had broken his collarbone during that time, completely snapped it in a football game. He came up for prayer and instantly that bone grew back together and all the pain went away. We saw stuff like that for months. We had all kinds of external signs and wonders. We had people, I mean, it was just crazy. But it was all external. It was all proofs and tokens and manifestations that God was real and God was among us. And as I've gone through my own process, it's like God has shifted things with me with the ministry. So everything we're doing right now is about cleaning the inside of the dish. It's, It's about resolving those internal issues and finding the Christ within you. So that your authentic self can come out. And so that we can chill out and say, look, we're not just going to honor Joseph. See, when you got it all going, when I, I had so many invitations, I was turning them down because I just don't want to travel that much. When you got it all going externally, you got it all going on in your life externally, everything's happening and you're fruitful. What so often happens is you want to just keep projecting and living off of that external presentation, and the Mary in your life is forgotten. So a couple of years ago, for me, I had an encounter with the Lord, a vision experience that helped me remember Mary. (laughs) And I had been struggling and wrestling to bring Joseph and Mary together. But as a result, that really is what God wants to have happen, because it's in that place See, if you get a healing, your pain goes away temporarily. Your disease, sickness goes away temporarily. If you get filled with the spirit of joy and laughter, temporarily you feel better. If you get a word from God, a prophetic word, temporarily you feel like, wow, God is real and I have guidance and I have sense and I have direction. But if you don't address the inside of the dish, if you don't deal with all that stuff, there is no lasting anything in your life. That has a foundation that can get you through the storms that life will throw at you. Does that make sense? So that's why I keep hammering this same old stuff. But as we're declaring this, stuff is happening inside you. So why don't you just open up, uh, close your eyes, if you will, and open up your heart. And in... If you're able to, in your imagination or just by faith, I want you to find that manger inside of you. I want you to find the Joseph inside of you. I want you to find the Mary inside of you, the parts of you that you've disowned, the parts of you that you think are unacceptable, the parts of you that cause you trouble, parts of you that cause you sorrow, parts of you that cause you rebellion. And I want you to find a manger, (laughs) like see the Christmas story happening inside of you. The parts of you that you like and the parts of you that you don't like coming together around the Savior that was born in the house of bread. All of it, all of it, absolutely all of it is a reality inside of you. And in that place, you can find peace on your earth and goodwill towards others because you don't have to eat at the tree of knowledge anymore. You don't have to eat at the tree of death and judge everybody and judge yourself. You can come to the tree of life, find peace and goodwill. And so, Father, I bless what you're doing right now. And Holy Spirit, we bless what you're doing. Inside the hearts and minds of everybody. Thank you for the awakening that's happening, not just here, but around the world. Thank you for the inner healing that is taking place right now. Thank you that we can celebrate the fact that in the midst of our anxieties, in the midst of our depressions, in the midst of our frustrations, in the midst of our anger, in the midst of our lusts, in the midst of our jealousies, in the midst of our fears, there is this day born a Savior who is Christ the Lord, who saves us from our sins. And we simply surrender and say that we love you. Now just take a couple seconds and let that peace and that goodwill settle in your heart and mind. And I pray that you and yours will have a very merry Christmas. God bless you.